Though I'm an employee of Ronald Blue Trust, Talking Money represents my individual views and not those of my employer or any sponsor of the program. During the program, I may discuss market trends as well as specific financial planning techniques and investment ideas. These discussions are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations to any individual or organization. Work with your attorney or accounting or investment professional for specific individual advice and services. Any securities or investment products discussed on Talking Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning. This is Mike Miller with uh, Talking... <clears throat> I'm not talking money today. I guess I'm all clogged up today. We'll try to... That's one thing about uh, live radio. You know, you've got to do what you got to do when, when it comes out. But I do... I want to, to give a special thanks today to my uh, lovely spouse. I've not done this for maybe a long time. Uh, but I've been doing Talking Money now, coming up on uh, finishing up almost 16 years of being here most Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock. So it's not like I get paid extra for coming in here on Saturday mornings to do this. I love to educate people, um, but uh, Kathy has certainly been giving up a lot of our Saturday mornings as well uh, to allow me to come here on on uh, Saturday mornings to to do this program for you guys and to try to educate and give you information to help your life better. Of course, we do get clients. We've gotten a, a lot of new clients over the years who have listened and said, I like what I hear and I'd, I'd like to... To work with somebody I feel like I can trust and uh, that I feel like uh, is going to give me good, solid information. So we're always looking for that. But but uh, I just just want to thank uh, Kathy Public for that because uh, it has been a sacrifice and she's uh, been so gracious about this. And uh, and so we'll, we'll, we move on and here we go. So I uh, have had a lot of questions over the um, years, really, but uh, recently had some some questions and I just kind of compiled. So this is kind of a smorgasbord of questions. No one topic today, just various questions that have come in from listeners. And I wanted to review those uh, questions and answers. And of course, we're here to answer your questions. That's that's our, our whole goal is to answer your questions, not for me just to come up with a topic and to express uh, my thoughts on that topic and give you some uh, hopefully good advice on what to do, what not to do. But we want to hear what is concerning to you on TalkingMoneyRadio.com. As a matter of fact, uh, a couple of the questions that came in today have come in uh, via that website. You can go to that website and click on Ask Mike a Question, and that'll, that sends that question to me. So uh, eager, to, eager to hear what is the most concern to you and what is um, something you're thinking about. You're uh, trying to figure out whether to, to buy an insurance policy or you're uh, a tax situation that you want to run by me and if i don't know the answer i usually know but i don't know that answer and i'll i'll be sure to uh, check on it the next week and get back with you to answer those questions so today we got a question from sam that came in he says i would like to give some money to my kids and and uh, help me with income taxes at the same time should i just give cash well pros and cons to this your kids are not a charitable deduction. They are not a 501c3 organization. So you can't get a deduction for, for giving money to your kids. And on the flip side of that, they don't have to report as income any money that you might give them or any even assets that you might give them um, because you didn't get a tax deduction for it. It's just a gift. And you have to be careful to not run afoul of the gift tax rules uh, and inheritance rules and things like that. And those have, have changed over the years. Uh, we're now at $16,000 per person uh, 
um, per year. And that doesn't have to be a child. That can be anybody. That could be me. That could be Paul. That could be Angelo. I'm looking at those guys in the other room. It could be anybody that you give money to. If it's to a spouse, there's no $16,000 limit. You can give as much as you want to a, to a spouse and not have to run afoul of those gift tax uh, rules. So, But you and your spouse, so if you have, let's say, a child and a spouse that you want to give money to, then you can give money to both of them. Both of you can give money to both of them. So each of you can give 16000 to each of them. So that's 32000 each and 64000 total. So you can give a pretty good bit of assets each year without having to worry about filling out a gift tax return. And and should you just give cash? And, and generally speaking, we say no for these kinds of assets if the child that you're giving the money to is in a lower tax bracket. So if they are in a lower tax bracket than you, especially if they're in the current 12% marginal tax bracket, they can receive a piece of uh, property from you and a, a, a real estate, or it could be a stock or a mutual fund. The basis in that property transfers with the gift. So let's uh, keep it simple. You had some mutual funds you paid $20,000 for, and they're now worth $40,000. If you pass those on to the child, they don't they don't have a forty thousand dollar basis. They have a twenty thousand dollar basis. So when they sell those assets, whenever they sell them, they're going to put on the tax return the same thing you would have put on your tax return had you sold it, and that's the twenty thousand dollars. But if you're in a twenty two percent bracket where you'd have to pay fifteen percent long term capital gain, and they're in a twelve percent bracket, including the the gain from the assets they that they sold, that's still under that. You know, 83,550 married filing jointly for 2022. If they're under that number, then there's zero long-term capital gain. So there's a good reason, that's a good reason, to give assets in kind and, and not in cash so that that child can then sell the asset whenever they want to. They wouldn't have to sell it right away. Now, if you were to hold that same asset until you passed away, then the child, because they inherited it through the estate process, they would get a step up in basis. Now, I remember a situation some years ago, one client that had a lot of one company stock, I think it was AT&T, this is years ago. Um, he's been deceased for quite a while. But when he came in, he was already elderly and already not doing well from a health standpoint. And he really had too much in the one company stock. There was a lot, of, but there was a lot of gain in it. So if we sold it, and then paid the capital gains taxes on it, and then he passed away like a year or two later, then you would have uh, sold those uh, stocks for nothing, for, for not a good reason, because then you would have had to pay taxes that you didn't have to, wouldn't have had to pay taxes on. Now, there's always that risk that the stock goes down, and so you lose that gain, and then, then it would have been better off to sell it. And we've got another question about that we'll get to after the break. Two two uh, questions, one from Daniel and one from Tim that had that same kind of idea about um, selling stocks that have gains in them. Uh, but in this case, this person was closer to what we thought was going to be his death and ended up being that way. He lived longer than, than we thought he might, I, I think uh, maybe four years, three or four years. But the stock did well, and he was able to, uh, when he passed, the, the stocks, that's one stock passed income tax-free because you got the, the tax-free uh, step-up in basis when that person died. And that's that's one consideration. Of course, you know God doesn't tell us when we're going to pass, so you, you don't know. And he certainly doesn't tell us what's going to happen with the stock price, that's for sure. Um, 
but you just have to do the best uh, estimate you can on what looks like the best way to do things. So right now we've got uh, a pretty large estate problem. So when you give appreciated assets, I should say state tax limit, most people aren't going to pay estate taxes. Um, But if you are um, potentially going to be in a situation where your estate is going to be taxable, which right now is like 12, a little over 12 million per person. But then in, in 2026, that sunsets back to probably, it's probably ended up closer to six and a half million, what it was before they, before they doubled it. Um, if, if you're potentially in that situation, transferring assets that have appreciation potential, and then if the, the child doesn't sell it, and they just hold on to it, then, of course, all that future appreciation is out of your estate. It's in their estate. And so that's another good reason to transfer for uh, gifts and do something in kind, which means you can actually give them the, the stock shares or the mutual fund shares or the real estate in kind. You don't sell it first and then give them the cash or just give them the cash out of uh, your checking account or your money market account or brokerage account, that kind of thing. And we'll get back. We'll be having a similar question from Daniel and Tim about stocks that are low basis and trying to figure out when's the best time or should they go ahead and sell them. But uh, anyway, we'll get uh, to that conversation right after this. The answers to most financial questions are uncovered when you understand that there are only really five uses of money and when you know exactly how much you are spending on each of those uses. At Ronald Blue Trust, our comprehensive financial planning process helps you plan for living expenses, debt, savings, taxes, and giving. Well, let's focus on saving for retirement. Planning for retirement is much more than a magic number that answers the question most people think of retirement planning, how much is enough? You need to know the answer to that question, but other questions are important to consider as well. Questions like, how will I determine what my next chapter is? How can I use my savings and investments in a tax-efficient manner? How will inflation, investment returns, and personal decisions impact my time frame? As you approach retirement, don't look at it as an end, but rather as a beginning. We don't sell any products at Rundle Blue Trust. We are fiduciaries whose only desire is to help clients be the best stewards they can be with the resources God has given them. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money because we want you to get the answers to your questions about money with no hidden agenda to sell anything. If you'd like to learn more about Ronald Blue Trust, to find out if we can help you, please call 1-800-588-7526 and tell Chelsea you heard Mike Miller talking about Ronald Blue Trust on the radio. It would be my pleasure to speak with you further. Once again, our phone number at the Greenville office is one 800 588-7526. Now let's go back to Talking Money to answer more of your questions. The uh, questions that we're answering today are from different listeners that we've had uh, that have sent these questions in on different kinds of topics. And of course, we want to hear your questions. But these questions, one from Tim and one from Daniel, pretty close to the same. Tim has says, I have several stocks that I bought at a really good price. So my cost basis is very low. I would like to reduce my exposure, but I hate paying taxes. And then the other question from Daniel says, I own a stock in the company I worked for, which is listed on the exchange. I see potential trouble ahead and would like to sell. However, I will have to pay a lot of taxes. Any thoughts? Um, so there's um, similar, similar lines of reasoning here to this. And, and of course, the biggest thing is, I don't want to have to pay any taxes. Well, first of all, make sure you're actually going to pay taxes because as I mentioned earlier before the break, if you stay inside that 12% marginal tax bracket, 
that part that's in inside that or underneath that number is going to be uh, taxed at 0% rate, a long-term capital gain rate. So then you've got to uh, think about, all right, here's my risk. If I hold the money, of course, in, in the case where uh, both of them, where they say, well, I, I, when I see trouble ahead, and the other one, he didn't see trouble ahead. He just has a lot of exposure. And a lot of people have excess exposure, I think, to a particular stock. And it's very hard to, for some people to um, get rid of some of that stock. Um, they typically feel differently about that one, especially if it was a company they worked for. They feel differently about that particular company stock than they do all the other stocks in the market because they worked for that company. Now, sometimes in this case with Dan, he says, I see trouble ahead. So it's not really inside information unless he happens to be at a, a high enough executive level. But if you see trouble ahead, then you got to think, okay, what's my risk here that that stock price is going to go down as soon as that trouble hits the fan and hits the press and people know about that trouble, then the stock price goes down. So you may not want to pay taxes, but you, wouldn't you rather sell and, and take the gain and pay whatever taxes you have to pay on it, especially when you have a max of 20% and most of you are going to be 15% anyway on that on the sale of, uh, of the gain of the sale of those long-term capital gain assets? You'd rather uh, you know, pay the tax on a higher amount than have the stock go down in price and then you sell it, okay, so you're paying less in taxes, but you're making a whole lot less money too. So it's kind of the same concept. I hear, I hear some business owners, I'll hear them say, yeah, I need to, I need to buy X. Or some people say, I need to, to build or buy this second home because they need the tax deduction. Well, to me, that's uh, fairly unwise because you're, you're still going to have to spend a lot of money to get the tax deduction. So you wouldn't want to do those things or buy that extra equipment just to get a tax deduction. It needs to be for a particular reason. You have some business purpose for that, or you have some personal use for that, not just because, oh, I need a tax break. Um, because, you know, why we spend you know $50,000 extra per year in order to get a, a $10,000 tax break. You still had to spend $50,000 on whatever that was. So it should be something that, that you need and that you use. So uh, I had one um, person that I knew of some uh, several years ago, and he had some stock that his uh, owned from the company that his son worked for. So he owned some stock in his son's company. Well, his son didn't own the company, but his son worked there. And he heard great things about it, what it was going to do. So he had held it. I think he'd held it for about 10 months and had made a lot of money. And he was asking me about that. And and he's saying, you know, wow, I want to wait. So I don't want to sell it because I want to wait till I, I can claim long-term capital gain property gains and not short-term capital gains. So he needed to keep it at least 12 months to do that. Well, he ended up keeping it 12 months. And by the time 12 months came around, the stock went down a whole lot and he didn't um, he didn't have any gains to worry about then. So I'd rather sell it when I had some gains. It's, it's, it's not terrible to pay taxes. Paying taxes means you're making money. Now, you want to minimize that as much as possible, but you still want to be careful that uh, that you don't let that tax tail wag the dog, as they say. So a couple other options you might have. If you know you're going to sell something and have some gains in it, well, maybe if you can, increase your 401k contribution. Or if you're eligible for a tax-deductible IRA contribution, well, pay uh, make an IRA contribution, increase your 401k contribution. Or if you want to give um, 
some money away, don't sell the stock, give that stock away. So maybe you're you're giving you know five hundred dollars a month or thousand dollars a month to your a church, your charities, whatever. Well, stop doing that, and and what you should be doing most of the time anyway. If you've got stocks or other assets that have gains in them, then once a year, um, transfer that gain, that stock that has a good gain, to your donor advised fund, or if it's just the right amount that you wanted to give to that organization anyway, then transfer the shares to them. Don't just keep giving cash and then sell the assets on the side and pay taxes on it. Give the asset itself and do it every year. I mean, if you've got stocks or mutual funds that have gains in them, and and even if the gain like this year is down a little bit, uh, I'm still waiting on mine. I, I, I'm hoping that later in the year we'll have a, a more of an upturn and I can I can make some transfers at a higher appreciated property. But if not, I'll still transfer those assets that have a long-term capital gain in them and I'll transfer those to my donor advised funds, one of my donor advised funds. And I'll, and, and you get the tax deduction for it, but then you don't have to give the money right away. So then, you know, once a quarter, I'll, I'll make a um, request. I'll go into my donor advised fund. I'll go into the online program and say, I want to uh, give X amount of dollars to my church. And so I just put that in there and I'm done. And then I get an email a day or two later, said so it's been approved, and they send it on to my church. And so you can do that once a quarter. So, But I, I didn't, instead of writing a, a check for cash, I instead will give the assets. So you ought to give the assets that have appreciated um, in value, in price, and give those to the, um, the charity instead. So if you knew you were going to do that in one year, and but you didn't want to give all at once uh, to a particular charity, that's when you get the donor advice fund. You set up the National Christian Foundation, the South Carolina Christian Foundation, mostly um, Fidelity, Schwab, all those have their own donor advised funds inside as well. I like to use some of these Christian organizations. The PCA Foundation, those of you who, uh, even if you're not a Presbyterian or part of the PCA, you can. theirs is a little less expensive. So go to the PCA Foundation and, and just set up an account, transfer the assets there, and then give the money out of there as you normally would have if you had been writing checks all the time. And it just, over time, yeah, you won't have a tax deduction, but most of you aren't going to get a tax deduction anyway because the standard deduction is so high. And you're just going to take the standard deduction. So this is another way. We've talked about bunching deductions before. So you give a you give a, an appreciated asset, and maybe it's, it's um, worth um, five, let's say it's uh, five times what you normally give. Well, then you give it, and maybe that puts you over the standard deduction, so you'll, you'll get a, a uh, contribution deduction for that year because you got over the standard deduction. Plus, you avoided the long-term capital gains and the sales. You did both. But at least, if even if you don't um, be able to take any kind of tax deduction for it, at least you were able to avoid paying the capital gains and you didn't give the cash. So it's, it's, a, it's a much better way to plan ahead and to make these gifts that, that you would uh, be able to make from... Um, from your own assets instead of doing it from from cash. So that was Tim and Daniel both had uh, very similar questions. Uh, I, I do one quick example on that as well. I, I remember a lady that came to see me once. Uh, she never became a client, but she had bought some Lucent stock, and this goes back a little ways, the late '90s. And she had she had paid about twenty dollars a share for it. It got up to sixty sixty five dollars a share, I think. And uh, when she came in to see us, it was about uh, four dollars a share. It had really gone down a lot in that when the tech uh, tech bubble burst, 
And and so she was asking about those assets, and uh, I was asking her about that asset. She said, I didn't want to sell it because she, you know, she felt bad. She wanted to wait till it went up, and then she would sell it. And I said, well, if if you were looking for a new stock to buy right now, would you consider buying Lucent? And she said, no, me very adamant. No way I'm going to buy Lucent. That's such a dog. I said, well, if you wouldn't buy it now, then why are you continuing to hold on to it? It just didn't make sense to hold on to it. Buy something else that you think has more potential of going up than this dog that you bought that you think uh, was lucent. So sometimes we get too sentimental with some of these things and we hold on to things longer than we should because our ego has is, is been hurt. and We'd rather wait till it goes back up so we can say we made profit, we didn't lose money. But uh, sometimes it's it's better just to, to swallow your pride, as they say, and, and move on to something else. Get back, we'll talk about a referral from an attorney that a, a Betty and her sisters inherited some funds that she really didn't need. What should she do with it? That and more when we get back with Talking Money. Most of you have heard the saying, it's not what you earn, but what you keep. With all of the tax laws and legislative changes, how do you successfully navigate the complex, always changing, and mostly confusing tax system? More importantly, how do you best take advantage of these changing laws in order to improve your financial stewardship and accomplish your goals? Unlike tax preparation, tax planning is a year-round process and should be an important part of your financial plan. It's wise to consider tax reduction efforts in light of your overall goals. At Ronald Blue Trust, our tax planning process includes things like short and long-term tax projections, understanding tax consequences of financial and life decisions, estimating marginal and effective tax rates to, among other things, avoid that dreaded tax bracket creep. Coordinate with your tax preparer and looking for tax savings opportunities through income shifting, deferring income, deduction planning, and other timing strategies. For more information about our Greenville team and the credentials and experience of each of them, go to ronblue.com forward slash Greenville. Sherry White, Jeremy Weaver, Scott Clark, and Eddie Holland are the team leaders with a supporting team of certified financial planner professionals working right alongside of them. Feel free to contact any of them directly or give me a call at 1-800-588-7526 and I'll be happy to discuss your situation with you. The phone number again is 1-800-588-7526 or go to ronblue.com forward slash Greenville. Let's return now to Talking Money. And we're about 25 before the hour here on Talking Monday. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for today. So glad you're joining us via either live radio or from our podcast. If you've got a question for me, you can send that question to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com or go to TalkingMoneyRadio.com, which is where you can see all the recordings of the the show, most of the recordings of the shows that we have done, the programs we've um done here we record them post them on talking money radio and then we categorize them by topic uh, by chronologically and then if you want a particular topic you do the search for that and that'll come up with the different programs where we discuss that particular topic and there's a place there you can click ask mike a question and send me a question there as well so i had a referral from attorney this is several years ago uh, but betting her and her sisters inherited funds from uh their brother who inherited just two years earlier from a friend of his that the the brother took care of. Well, they didn't know this guy was worth over $5 million. He was taking care of him, but didn't realize he really had the money to pay for somebody else to do that, but his his brother took care of him. So uh, she and her sisters inherited these, these funds, 
but she's in her mid-80s. She doesn't really need the money. And she doesn't really want the money. So what should she do? What kind of options does she have? How should she invest it? Um, and my first reminder for you is be careful who you name as beneficiaries of your estate. I mean, a lot of people uh, will will uh, have a situation this week that this uh, this involved. They'll name their they're in their you know mid sixties and they put their uh, mother as one of their beneficiaries. Well, the mother's up in years and is is more than likely going to pass away before the client does, and not necessarily, but usually that's the case. And when that person passes on, then it goes to the mother, and the mother then decides where that money's going to go. So if you're passing it on to someone who is more than likely going to die before you, just from an age standpoint or from a health care standpoint, then you want to put somebody else on there instead of them and so that they're not the ones who are determining where your assets go because they may not want their money to go the same place that you want the money to go to. Uh, I had another situation where a client was naming a lot of siblings and all the most of the siblings were in, in poor health and, and the reason for leaving it to the siblings was just because they've been so good to her and she wanted to make sure she knew that they that she loved them and so forth well that's not the that's not the place to show them that you love them uh, now if it's a child i can see there's a difference that you would say well i want to leave something to the child even if that child is a strange uh, especially if that child is not um a born again christian you're trying to be a testimony even after you're gone and, and maybe you haven't spoke to that child for a while cutting them out completely um is is probably just going to harden that relationship even more, even though you're gone. Uh, so there's a lot of different ways to think about how you should give the money and how you should name your beneficiaries and who you should name them to. Uh, but in this case, they he named it to his sisters. And I, assuming, I, I just know Betty was in her mid-80s. I don't remember the other, the other sisters and what their ages were. Um, but there's a possibility she could disclaim it. But if she disclaimed it, probably went to her other older sisters. So that wouldn't help. Um, so she's got a couple options. One, she can start giving the money away, give it to the, the places that she is passionate about, that she wants to, to help support, and go ahead and give that away now. She could, of course, leave it in her estate and just invest it and give it to them just in case she may need it. She doesn't know that she'll, she doesn't think she'll need the money, but maybe she will. So she'll keep the money in her own estate and then she can put it in her will whom she wants to get to whom she wants the, that money to go to. And if she does that, then that's fine. She still has access to it, and then it goes where she wants to. Now, there again, it may not be the same place that her brother wanted it to go to, and he may not care. Well, we know he doesn't now because he's gone, but if, if, he, if he was alive, would he want those assets to go there? So you're, you're thinking about your own assets, where you ultimately want those assets to go. So how should she invest? Well, the first question you need to answer for that is, who is she investing for? Now, she's mid-80s. They say, well, she's investing for herself. She needs to keep it pretty conservative. You know, maybe maybe she's 40% in some growth stocks to help with inflation and cost of living changes, and the rest of it is something more conservative. And then in, in her, we've talked about buckets before, so her bucket one may be a larger bucket because it's going to be cash, cash equivalents, especially now that the money market rates have gone up to above 1% again. You're at least making something on it. And have that ready access if she needs it, because we don't know what her other assets were. She may have enough other assets. If she has enough other cash, then invest the whole thing, because she's not investing for herself. More than likely, she's investing for somebody else. So her own kids, her own grandkids, or even for a ministry, 
if if they receive it, even if the stocks happen to be down, you say, Mike, well, she should invest in stocks because she's mid-80s and she'll never recoup. Well, she doesn't need to recoup because she's not going to need that money. The person she's giving it to or the, or the organization she's giving it to would have time, theoretically, would have time to let it grow back up so that she wouldn't, they, they could hold on to it even if it's down at the time she gets it. So I would say, just to answer that question, who is she going to, who is she investing for? And then you have a better idea of how it, uh, how it should be invested. And that's true with anybody, whether you're mid-80s or not. We've had a lot of people over the years who have uh, had um, more than enough monthly income coming in from Social Security, and they had a good pension plan. Maybe they had annuitized an annuity somewhere, and they got that money coming in. They got enough monthly income to meet their needs especially as they get older and they're not traveling as much and, and they've got good insurance. So their medical care is taken care of. And maybe they have long-term care insurance too, which is going to take care of uh, a good bit of any long-term care facility they may have to go into. Well, if they've got all those bases covered, then they could actually be more aggressive if they want to be, or they could be a lot more conservative if they wanted to be. It comes back to that same question. Who are you investing it for? Is it for yourself, for emergencies, for later on that you, of course, don't know when those emergencies are going to come up? You don't know when there's going to be surprises. That's why they're called surprises. So you keep enough money there for that, for those kind of situations potentially. But the rest of it, you say, well, I'm really investing for my children, or maybe I'm investing for my grandchildren, or I'm investing for a couple of charities or my church, uh, someplace else that I really want to try to maximize the return I'm going to get for them. But if it goes down, it's it's okay because I don't need the money. And if history repeats itself, it's going to come back up eventually. Just it may be down when you pass, but as long as they hold on to it, then it's uh, it, it generally is going to go back up uh, at some time later. Okay, so next question. This comes from Russ, and uh, Russ has sent me several questions over the last uh, several months and uh, thought maybe he was running running uh, low or running uh, too many questions and said, maybe I'm, I'm running out of my list of questions that I, uh, I'm allowed to ask you, but I'll take all the questions we can get. Just don't uh, be upset if I don't answer the question, but you can ask all that you want. And I try to answer uh, all that I can uh, have just a, another couple minutes here for the break. So I'll, I'll lay out the scenario and then we'll come back after the break and, and answer each part of it. So he says the company that he worked for for 20 plus years, and he's not been there, he's not working there now, but he'd worked there for 20 years, had a pension when I started, but shortly after switched to a 401k with a match. When I reached 65, they sent me a form to fill out with choices for my pension. So apparently they had a, a pension he qualified for because he's got a fairly nice monthly income benefit coming from that. Uh, and I know Russ doesn't listen live. He listens to the podcast, he tells me, when, I, when we post them later. So he had an option. He, I can get, uh, I can choose one thousand nine hundred and thirty-three dollars a month for my life, and whenever I die, of course, it's just gone. If he lives for six months, it's gone. Uh, he can take a reduced amount of one thousand seven hundred and sixty-two dollars, not quite two hundred dollars a month less, for my life with ten years guarantee payout. And they had two other options with a fifty percent survivor and a seventy-five percent options for my spouse. So if he died then his spouse, his wife, would get either 50% or 75%. He didn't give me the numbers on those, but it would be some something reduced from the $1,933 a month that he would get for his life. And that's that's pretty standard. Uh, the largest amount you're going to get has the highest risk to it. So you say $1,933 a month for my life, but when I'm gone, 
my wife and nobody else is going to get any money for that. Or his option was I can take a $350,000 lump sum and he can invest that himself. All right. So there's, there's the scenario. Uh, and of course he's got some things that he's told me he's done and I'll tell you what he's done. And then he's asking for whether or not I thought that was a good idea to do it. And so I think he's made some, some good choices, but we'll go into why and so forth. We'll be right back. Virtually every financial services firm talks about financial and investment planning based on your goals. At Ronald Blue Trust, we can help you define your goals. And we'll do that from your personal cash flow to your income tax, to your state and investments to help ensure that your decisions really do reflect your values. We incorporate biblical principles into our comprehensive financial planning approach. Our goal is to help you clarify your decision-making and focus on leaving a legacy of financial, social, and spiritual capital. And whether we realize it or not, the decisions we make in life reflect our values and our priorities. Decisions we make today can have lifetime implications. There are rarely independent decisions. A comprehensive financial plan includes things like planning for short-term cash needs, long-term retirement, proactively minimizing debt, continually evaluating the tax consequences of your decisions, funding your child's or grandchild's education, and determining your insurance needs. No financial plan, however, is worth doing unless you actually implement your plan. Our process takes you directly from goal setting to the implementation. I think, we think, there's a good chance your financial stress level will improve when you understand how all of the components of your financial life integrate with each other and how to adjust over time. So we can guide you through a detailed plan towards sound financial decisions, wise stewardship, and a roadmap to your desired destination, a life well spent. For more information, go to ronblue.com forward slash Greenville or call 1-800-588-7526. Once again, the number is 1-800-588-7526. Now back to more of Talking Money. And we've got about 11 minutes here left in Talking Money. Some uh, several questions we need to get to, so we'll, we'll hop right to it. So I, I, I will mention that, uh, that some of you ought to would maybe appreciate uh, coming in to, to watch a live radio show. So I'm in here doing my thing and talking to you people. And, and uh, I've got the producers in the other room that I can see. They're not paying a bit of attention to me. They're, they're just doing their own thing with this new software update. And they're talking and carry on uh, right in front of my screen. So it's, it's, it's two reasons that doesn't bother me. One uh, is that I've been doing this a long time. And the second is I've had four kids. And so uh, I used to tell my, my wife, I tell people about uh, my wife, Kathy, that uh, said, no, especially when we were golfing and people were talking and be making some kind of noise and it doesn't bother her a bit. She says, no, I've had four kids. I can ignore pretty much anything. So uh, the more kids you have, my mom was great at doing that too. Just ignore things. It's after, when you have five kids, you just kind of do that. Anyway, so I reviewed the question from Russ and he had his uh, options for his his uh, pension plan and it was $1,933 a month for life or $1,762 for uh, life but with a 10-year guarantee paid out or take a $350,000 lump sum. Now most people that we talk to it's usually an option between taking the full life benefit $1,933 or a 100% joint survivor and that's usually about a 20 18 to 20% drop in the life only amount so that the surviving spouse can continue to get the same amount. But of course, when both people die, 
it's gone. So you're taking a little bit of a gamble, not not a lot, because the odds are in your favor that one of you is going to live when you're 65, one of you is going to make it to 90. So you're not taking a, a huge risk from an actuarial standpoint, but of course, it still is a risk. So um, he took the uh, $350,000. So, and I, I did some calculations myself. He calculated it and saying, well, if he made at least, he's an engineer, so he, he, if he could earn at least 3% a year and he could leave it alone for at least three years because he didn't need it for three years, he could actually fund that same 1762 that had the 10-year guarantee for 28 years and they'd both be 92. Well, if he took the 1762 from the company with a 10-year guarantee payout, I said, well, I thought, well, I wonder what it is for 10 years, uh, what, the, what they're actually guaranteed to pay him. So I took the 1,762 times 120 months or 10 years, and they're only guaranteeing him 211,440. They're not even guaranteeing him the 350,000 that they would have given him as a lump sum. And that's for 10 years, which means you surely you can earn some money during that time. So that right away, I said, well, that's not a very good deal. Um, of course, you're taking a risk that once you take the 350000 as a lump sum and you invest it, unless you invest it in, in you know, a 10-year treasury or something where, uh, where now you're making around 2, 2.5% in that 10-year uh, treasury, which is a lot higher than it had been just a year or so ago, that it could fluctuate. Um, but he's comfortable. He's had enough questions. He sent enough questions to Amanda. He uses a bucket strategy himself. So you've got a short-term bucket, you've got an intermediate-term bucket, and you've got a long-term bucket. Well, if he doesn't need the money for at least three years, then he would say, well, I really don't need anything in a short-term bucket because he asked me how sh what, what should he do with the money. Um, so my, my initial, without knowing the whole situation, would say, well, let's, let's just put maybe 40% of it in your intermediate-term bucket because if you need to start using it in three years, let's make sure something is not directly in the stock market and you have access to that. And depending on the amount that you might need from it, you might even say, well, I only need 20% in my intermediate-term bucket and I, I want to put... 80% in my longer term bucket, which would be various types of, of stocks, uh, international, uh, domestic, small, large, you know, using value and growth stocks, just all different kinds of ways that you can diversify effectively in a portfolio and put 60% or I say at least 60, maybe 70 or even 80 in your long term bucket because you're really not planning on needing it for something over five years and maybe closer to 10 years is when you're going to need that money. And, and then, uh, so when, when, if you die early or one of you did, uh, both of you died early, even if you died early, your, your surviving spouse, your wife will still be able to access that same amount of money. And one of the nice things about doing this, another, um, positive way to look at it would be, all right, especially if you didn't really need the $1,762 every month, you know, there, there you could get by, maybe that's the extra money that you, you're bringing in to do stuff with. If if the market goes down, you say, or like like recently where stocks and bonds went down, so I can stop taking out both of those uh, funds. I don't have to take anything out of my fixed income or out of my stocks and leave it alone and let it, let it rebound before you start taking money out of it. Uh, or as in it, what should be the case, and it has been in ours, uh, like value stocks, they, they, aren't, they aren't up a lot for the last 12 months, but they're positive. It's not like every stock in the portfolio was negative. Some have actually been positive. And that doesn't always happen, but it has happened here recently. Value stocks have just performed a lot better than, than growth stocks. So you have something that you can have access to to get that income that you need 
to just do your normal living or in this case if it's your if it's your extra stuff then if you have some flexibility in that then just don't take anything out where the money's down and and wait the, so that it goes back up and you don't you don't have to have a permanent loss because you don't you don't really make or lose any money in your account until you sell it and put it in cash it's just fluctuating until that time so once you sell it then you got a permanent loss and once you uh, uh, and it's down you have a permanent loss if you sell it when it's up then you have a permanent gain you've, you've got unless of course you reinvest it in something else that has fluctuation to it and that's that's a, a different story um so anyway, that's the, the the way I would look at it. He had a question about the lump sum amount, how it's going to be affected by the inverse of interest rates. And that's pretty typical with with um, companies that have the old-fashioned pension plans. We call them old-fashioned because people don't use them very, companies don't use them very often anymore. Um, that as interest rates um, go up, then the um, lump sum goes down. So if you, he was thinking that interest rates were going to go up, uh, which is uh, a, a likely guess uh, that uh, the, go ahead and take the lump sum now because the lump sum may be lower if he tries to wait a year or something and tries to access it then. Um, so anyway, I think, uh, yeah, taking the money out and giving yourself some flexibility, especially if you're comfortable with investing and and you can let things ride when the, they're having difficult times, which you know they will. Most years, most months they don't, but sometimes they do. Um, it's, it's good to have that flexibility in there. So taking a lump sum leaves more potential there, not just for the spouse, but for the family. So when both of them are gone, then there'll be something left there. Uh, typically there's something left there that you didn't, uh, would not have had if you just took a regular pension option, but some pension options are so good, uh, and the versus the lump sum that you end up just saying, well, I'm going to take, I'm going to take the, um, uh, the pension plan because it's, it's too good, especially if, if it has a good, survivor benefit for for your spouse all right that was from um from russ next question from maybe the last question from carol her husband was a radio listener before he died one of his requests was that she contact me um mike to help her manage her new wealth mainly from life insurance proceeds by the time she met he passed away and by the time she met with me she'd already decided to pay off her children's mortgages her children's school loans uh, so she followed the letter of the law regarding his request, but certainly not the spirit or his intent because his concern was probably that she would do what she did. She would just, she's, uh, uh, has a lot of uh, compassion. And so she uh, went to her children and she paid out cause it was going to make their lives so much easier. It, it left her with a lot less money and maybe not enough to even to take care of herself for the rest of her life. Um, the, the children should have been looking at her um, and should have been caring for her and saying, wait a minute, mom, why are you giving all this? We, we love the fact that you're giving us this money, but you need to make sure you take care of yourself. And the mother could have, uh, the children could have said, yeah, mom, we'll take care of you. If, if you run out of money, don't worry about it. Uh, you've helped us so much. We'll take care of you. But there's no guarantees that that's going to happen. There, there can be rifts in families down the road that can can offset that, and that and just doesn't happen like you thought it was going to going to happen. So, uh, if depending on the type person that you that you think your spouse is, sometimes you need to set some things up. And this is not just the wife; this can be certainly the husband as well. Uh, you need to set money aside in a trust so that you essentially protect them against themselves. And sometimes we, we request or we recommend this for children too. And sometimes we say, look, okay, it's just not, maybe the money's not large enough to, to fool with the trust or you just don't want to fool with it. If once you're both gone and you give the money to a child and that one child just doesn't, um, is not responsible 
and does not spend the money wisely, uh, many people look at it. Well, that's their problem. You know, I gave them the, the help. I gave them the start. Uh, unless there's some big concern, though, you're going to say, well, you know, I really want to protect them against themselves. I want to make sure they have money for the rest of their life. They need to set it up inside of a trust so that that trustee can then give them their share of the money, give them a monthly income for the rest of their life. Um, and, and so they don't have that even ability to go in there and just wipe it out and to, to spend it unwisely, buy the new, the new car, uh, the different house, the take big trips or whatever it was they, were, they wanted to do and just wiped it out. In this case, it was the, his surviving wa- uh, spouse. And uh, he, based on the conversation with her, is she was, um, he was concerned that she might do just what she did. Uh, so she came to see me, but it was after she'd already uh, made all of those financial decisions. So I wasn't able to help her make any of those financial decisions because she'd already, she'd already made them. Um, so love to help people, love to answer questions. And uh, had some more questions here um, from another one from Tim about buying life insurance. And I had questions from a, a young immigration attorney who is, is asking questions about converting her term life insurance. And another one had an insurance agent was trying to sell something uh, didn't really say it was insurance, said it was something else. But um, we don't have time to get to those questions. We'll get to those on another Talking Money. But so glad you're with me. If you want to have a question for me, send that to Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com. Have a great week. We'll see you next week for the next Talking Money. Talking Money.